0: This is the Freestyle Way.
1: Yeah, just like that, we're live. Why not? What's happening? How are you?
0: I'm good, Carl. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to have you. Uh, As I mentioned before, we we jumped on. The first time I met you was in Korea at R16, Mm -hmm. and uh, I wasn't just impressed with your name. I thought your name was really cool. But I, I also thought that the way that you moved was something that I had never seen in my life uh, up until that point. And uh, really inspired to to just have seen you over the years, heard your name, and now yeah, I'd be able to talk to you. So uh, thank you for making the time. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've, I've also heard a lot about you too, Carl. So it's uh, exciting to sit in here and talk to you. And I know we met in R16, but you know through the through the years also with a couple of friends that I have, your name's been mentioned. And, um, and I know you've been working a lot with a lot of breakers. So this will be a really, really cool time to get to know what you're doing as well.
1: Very, very cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, breaking has been uh, very impactful in my life. And Uh, as cliche as it sounds, it's not something that I chose. It just kind of happened to appear in my life. I I thought I was very attracted to it. I was very inspired by it. And the people in the scene, just a wealth of knowledge, especially when it comes to the creative expression. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's what you have clearly dedicated your life to and that's that's what i would like to explore today so for for those who and, and you know this is one of those things that you hear in podcasts you hear people say hey can you give us a description of who you are where you come from <laughs> i don't i don't really want to know your life history at this moment we, we can talk about it I, but i do want to know uh if you see yourself as an artist what is art to you
0: expression uh being able to um, translate certain thoughts, feelings, emotions into art, um, or into some sort of medium, I would say, because, you know, especially for me, I, I, I speak across different, different ways of, of creating, you know, not just dance, but visual art, music, stuff like that. So, um, I also feel like there's no limit to how that looks or how that works. And, um, but I, I mean, that's, that's it I think I think ultimately it's it's sharing this kind of thought and putting it in some sort of like either frozen moment or you know moving picture um for other people to experience as well and there's people that either share that sentiment or you turn them on to something new you know you you can kind of teach by doing this you can kind of uh you know give some insight of some type of moment in history and that stuff lives on I mean our art uh, you know lives on beyond you know our physical selves so I think it's really powerful
1: Mm. yeah Yeah, and it's and it's interesting to to hear that because art as an expression means that they're kind of like no rules yet you do need some formal training at times there 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 are certain techniques methods ways that are formalized that facilitate the expression of art it was that breaking for you? Was that playing the saxophone early on? <laughs> was it playing the drums? Like, what was it for you uh, th- as a I musical think, artist, especially right now? Yeah,
0: I think in the beginning, actually, it was probably visual first. It was visual first. I learned this whole concept of manifestation really early um, when I realized that I can take a picture that I see in my mind and put it on paper and trying to get that picture as clear as possible as to way I see it in my mind was the the skill right I have to learn how to draw I have to learn how to be better at you know this this uh, hand eye coordination you know to create this thing that's in my mind. Um, I think that's pretty much where it started from then it was like music I've, I've found music to be a similar experience because I would hear certain sounds and I would want to create them. I just kind of gravitated towards the saxophone because, like, that was my favorite sound at that time. You know, I listened to a lot of Sonny Rollins, John Coltrane, that type of thing. So, tenor saxophone to me was just a beautiful sound. Um, And then I I got to a point too where that that felt a little bit limiting at at moments. And then I got into more of like uh, electronic music, you know, where I was able to kind of like you know spread out and and play along different lines, you know, um, tried to learn some piano. I'm still learning piano and, uh, com- you know, it really helps with composing to be able to speak a- across the, the, the spectrum of the music. Um, and dance eventually became the thing too, because I realized like, you know, through this and, and I was speaking about the hand co- eye coordination with the drawing, like understanding my body was, was a big part of it. Same thing playing saxophone. I mean, you know, getting the the fingerings down for the notes and, you know, understanding how my breath works to make the sounds that I wanted to make. You know, you already start physicalizing the things, um, embodying mm-hmm. how, to, how to do this at a high level. Um, and then dance just became natural, too. My mother was a dancer, um, not professionally, but she just danced all the time. You know, I think that played a big role in me wanting to move my body in that way. Um, and then, yeah, I felt drawn to it when I first saw it, I was super excited about it and especially breaking. I saw, I think tap was the first dance that I, I, I thought was really dope, but I never had a chance to do it. <laughs> I would try, like <laughs> I put bottle caps on my shoes and was like, you know, messing around, but you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I feel like I didn't That's know what hilarious. I was doing with breaking either though. You know, like even with breaking, I just, I was just imitating tap dancers. I still wow, do that no to way. this day. Yeah.
1: Okay. I mean, now that you say that, that makes sense. That is so crazy to think about, which is interesting because that kind of leads me to something that, uh, as you were talking about the visual and and bringing what was in your mind and putting it on the paper and having that hand-eye coordination where having a, a specific line, the ability to draw a line, a stroke... That creates a signature i mean uh, leonardo da vinci is famous for having a signature stroke that can be identified on paintings of his students um of him like explaining hey if you want to really complete this you do it something like this um when did you become aware that you were producing a signature style in your expression whether it was through dance or uh, design when did you become aware of this
0: um, I think when I started to reach the the point of the things I was thinking about I can actually do them and what's crazy is I, I still haven't really gotten to that point fully and I may never reach that you know there's there's ideas I have in my mind that I may not reach physically you know because of now age is creeping in and all this type of stuff and then you know, maybe there's things I'm thinking, too, that just is not physically possible, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is why like dance in some ways could be could be limiting. And that's why I love creating in different ways, because there's some ways I want to speak rhythmically through dance that I can't do. So I do that with music or I'll do that with uh, visual art or something like that.
1: Mm, you know, but that is very that, cool.
0: That's really where I saw it. I, I was like able to reach a certain moment um, on time, you know. <laughs> express it the way i really felt it and there were i had some moments and i was really excited to see that too it was a little hard to like watch watch it you know it took me a while to get into like just watching whatever i just did you know i started to do battles and stuff and people would send me the footage and be like yo this is crazy and i'm like i can't watch it it's weird like being in a moment and then watching the moment i had a real hard time with that at first but then now i'm like. It helped a little bit of my of my assessment of how uh, how I was kind of doing things within the dance so then I started to watch and I, I was learning a lot from watching my own footage after a while
1: mm. is it yeah. kind of like uh hearing your own voice for the first time where you're like oh god what is this
0: absolutely yeah mm-hmm.
1: that that's insane yeah. and and uh do you remember your first battle
0: Oh, man. Uh, I I remember my first time going into a cipher. I remember that for sure. Battles became so many that I I can't even remember what the first one was at this point. Um, But my first time stepping into a cipher was so much anxiety and fear, I think, in the beginning. Even though I was excited to want to get out there and show what I've been doing, right? You know, because I've been Learning the dance, I felt really good about it. And I wanted to express myself, especially to the song that I heard at the time. But I just remember like rushing through everything, you know, just wow. wanting to kind of get it done. Um, but I was really excited out of the reaction that I got, even though I felt like I didn't do my best. That's, That's what I really got from that. Yeah.
1: Wow. Uh would you practice at home or how how old were you when you started dancing? And yeah. was it at home you were practicing on your own with friends?
0: Yeah, I had a really small section of the basement squared off um where I would dance. And this is in New Jersey, so I grew up in New Jersey. Um and we had these heaters that were along the bottom side of the of the floor, and I would constantly kick the the <laughs> The board of the heater off, and my mom would hear that upstairs, and she'd be yelling down, "What are you doing down there?" Um, but yeah, I had a really small space, and that's pretty much where I just felt like I needed to, you know, exercise and practice my craft. And it was interesting too because when I, I felt at home in a cipher because those the, the size of that was similar, right? People were a little bit closer to you. I had a lot more kind of control in a smaller space when I started doing battles and things really started getting big, um, in the scene, I remember being in, you know, in a space that just was way too large for me to even understand, you know? So I would go out to do my battle and I would really battle in a contained space. I wouldn't really go too far out of that. And it took me a while to start to use that, the the space a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I would practice there basically in my basement for years. I started really dancing. I'd say when I was like thirteen, fourteen years old, um, I was already kind of like moving around and, and messing around with it. But I think I consciously started practicing the dance at fourteen.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting age. So like you're you're becoming a teenager, uh, you're you're self conscious. You have a lot of uh, thoughts uh, going on in your mind you're really starting to discover the world and then you're you're finding dance mm-hmm. uh, which which is such an interesting path uh, what was it like for your for your mother for example I don't know if your your father was around at that time or not, but he wasn't around but no. what was it like for your mother when when she saw you pursue dance? was it something that she encouraged because she danced or was it kind of like, hey, get to school <laughs>
0: Yeah, she was very much uh, trying to get me to think about what I want to do as a career. Um, she didn't see dance as a career. And she didn't really know what I was doing for a few years. I also kind of hid it from her because I would travel to the Bronx to dance and I would go to New York to dance. And she's she's from Brooklyn originally. My father's from the Bronx. When they had me, they moved to Jersey. And... Um, you know, one of the reasons was because they were trying to, you know, move into a better location, see if they can find better education for me and my sister. Um, but, you know, the idea of going to the city was not really a thing. They were like, don't just don't go there, especially by yourself. Right. So I traveled to Hunts Point, you know, at the point, which was a community center where I learned how to break. And that's where, you know, I met Crazy Legs and a lot of other members of Rocksteady. So I was already going there about the age of, I would say, towards the end of 15 into 16 years old. When I started to like meet other people and they were telling me like where things were happening. You know, again, this wasn't like there was no Internet. There was no way for me to kind of search these things up at that time. You know, so we're talking like 96, 97 now. Um, And they told me where to go. So, you know, okay, looked it up found it. Um, how do I get there by train? It was like a whole thing, you know, ended up going as much as I could. I remember going up there a few times, not even knowing if there was an event or not. And the point does a lot of really great community work. I mean, I went in there sometimes and they, and they would have just people in there or young, young generation of kids in there drawing and painting, (laughs) you know, they did a lot of great, a lot of great stuff there. So, um, I found myself just kind of like getting into this whole community space, just through visiting that place. I thought it was really cool. Um, but yeah, that was like my early start to things and it really had me thinking. So even when I be- went back to my um, town and, and started going to high school in Clifton High School, in Clifton, New Jersey, I would like go to the, I went to the local community center. I started like a practice there. Mm. And you know, just tried to get people to break <laughs> because I, I was immediate. I don't know what I was. Th- I just really loved the experience I had at the point that I was like, I'm gonna bring this to to where I live, and that I started sense. to do stuff like that. Yeah, it was really interesting, and I and there was a, you know, good group of people that like you know went to those practices, and then there was a decent scene that started up in my high school as well from from a lot of that too. Um, but people amazing. were pretty much into hip hop, like for sure. Like graffiti was a really big thing you know, around my area, Passaic, New Jersey, Patterson, Clifton, a lot of riders around there. So still a lot of like lingering uh, things from the 80s in terms of like hip hop and breaking, especially there's almost everybody's uncle or somebody used to break in the 80s. So, you know, <laughs> if you did any of that, especially during my time and my age, you know, it was shocking to them and exciting because they it was considered pretty much dead for a while, especially in, in that area. So, right, you know, we we were, and by we I say like my my generation were really starting to take interest in something that wasn't very popular at the time.
1: Hmm, which you know? is which is amazing when you can pick up something that was very special, and kind of died off, and then kind of rekindle it and bring it back to life in in a new way. Yeah. So, in, in many ways, you you. you and, and I'm just projecting here, and I, I know nothing about hip hop or history and breaking. But my my sense is that you definitely influenced and, and helped pave the the way for where breaking is today. And in looking back, what are the things that you see uh, marked an inflection point in breaking, and uh, really kind of stuck when you when you started? um, dancing and, and, and really pushing yourself to, to the the level that you were, you were expressing yourself at that time. Yeah. What are some, some moments or things that you think you did or, uh, assisted in doing?
0: Absolutely. Thanks for that, Carl. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I, I see myself as a, as a product of what I experienced during that time, you know, um, and in some ways, I feel like I was a connection to a scene that was happening uh, that was connected to something way deeper than the way we might view breaking today. And what I mean by that is that, you know, when I met people like Crazy Legs, for example, um, also in my neighborhood, I met a guy named Fast Eddie who owned a, a hair salon actually called Headspins.
1: Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> and I actually worked there for a while um, because like, I needed a a, a work-study program for my senior year in high school. And I he had signed off on all my papers. I ended up working at the hair salon, which was awesome. Um, but Eddie was dope. He was a part of a hip-hop crew in the 80s. Um, through that place, I met a writer by the name of Kel First, who was a really prolific graffiti writer. Also his brother, uh, Mayor139, who was one of my... Um, mentors today still um you know i i just started getting connected to something that i was super inspired by but then also after after some time and then even after now the internet started coming into play i started to actually learn a little bit more of who these people were that i was meeting i didn't know i didn't know at first um the impact that they had on hip-hop as a whole Mm -hmm. Um, but I was experiencing it firsthand because I was dealing with them in a real personal way, which I also realized a lot of people didn't have that type of opportunity, especially with these guys that I was, um, you know, hanging out with basically. And I got introduced to a lot of things that were like way beyond my understanding. You know, I mean, I, I remember like just going to like Zulu anniversaries and meeting, all of the Zulus, all of Bambata, you know, finding out who the Zulu nation was, how that was like the real grassroots organization of hip hop in the early days. Um, meeting a lot of people who were five percenters at that time, which was my first introduction to understanding what knowledge itself really was. That's a whole thing we can. Spend a whole day talking about that. Actually, yeah, I've learned um, a little bit through <laughs> ProFo
1: One about this, but okay. um, yeah. yeah, but I'm 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 familiar. I, I don't have the depth, but I don't I do know what you're talking about. If you want to dive into it a little bit, it is very interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very it's really deep. It's a it's a bit of an offshoot of of Islamic religion in a way. Um, it's a, I call it a, a street religion, a street knowledge. It was a way for people to really understand the uh, situation that we're in, specifically you know, black males, I would say. Um, it was a really powerful uh, philosophy thought process that got people through uh, the hard times of where they were and what they were experiencing. And um, you see a lot of that today. I mean, the 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 deep philosophy that that, um, you know, thing had is everything that, like, really developed into... Some of the words that we even say in hip-hop, like even the word cipher, for example, and I'm talking about C-I-P-H-E-R, the way that that's spelled. Most people spell it with a Y. I really don't know where that came from. Um, but, you know, cipher meaning a circle, meaning 360 degrees of knowledge. You know, when you look at the first three, you know, pillars of knowledge, wisdom and understanding, that makes a cipher. It's so a really deep... Um, numerology type of concepts, stuff like that. Um, but it just puts a a, a really mystical but, um, I think more in-depth understanding of why and 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 what. And um, I've lived by that since I first you know really experienced it and I've continually continuously like studied it because I think it shows up in everything that I'm doing. And it might go over people's heads, I think, in some way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, you know, especially people who are not um, necessarily fond of religion. Like, I also know, like, in, in today's time, you know, there is a there is a disconnect from movements like that. Um, I'm more of a person who embraces all religion because I see the um, importance of why people... Gravitate, uh, navigate towards something like that or gravitate towards something like that. Um, mm-hmm. It's a way of living that, that and for a lot of people, is survival uh, and, and an understanding of the things and the people around you. So I get it. Um, so it's stuff like that that really helped kind of shape the way that I was you know doing my thing. But I also realized that most of the people that I met, that's what they were studying, thinking, doing. Then there was this whole also art scene that was happening in the 80s that I was super attracted to. So when you talk about what happened in the Lower East Side, most people would refer to that scene as like the Keith Haring Basquiat era. Um, For me, there are other artists like Ramel Z, for example, who were a really big influence on me, who was also a five percenter. And he put a lot of that philosophy into his into his work. And to me he is he is my basquiat, basically. Mm. And I heard his name a lot, as well as people like Dondi. and now these are more like graffiti writers, but they're also like Ramel was also an MC. Um, and they were all connected at some point. Phase two is another one. you know, when you start to like really understand like who who was doing what. Uh, what their purpose was, especially in who they were in terms of the history of this stuff. It opens up a lot. It's also not information that you can get from anywhere. You know, some of it is in some books. A lot of it is not. Mm -hmm. You know, Ramel Z, for example, is a word that people who are in hip-hop deeply, or is a name that people who are in in hip-hop deeply, they know, um, but it's not a popular name. Uh, like a Basquiat for example
1: right. and they've crossed paths right.
0: That's amazing <laughs> Which <is> crazy that's, <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that is crazy It's crazy mm-hmm. to think about these things and I, I I just feel very fortunate to have been in the vicinity of these names and uh, to hear you kind of speak of it now it, it just hits me even even harder because it feels like an untold history that needs yeah. to come out and I, I feel like that's part of what you're doing. And with, without getting ahead of myself, I was curious about uh, your influences. And you, you kind of now started to allude to to what they are. But as an artist, I think there's a moment where, and I guess as a person, where you, you say, I'm going to be influenced up until this point. From here on out, it's me. Uh, do you have a, I mean, this is a hard question to answer, but do you have a distinct like line where you're like, nope, I'm done being influenced. It's time to be, why not, and just be myself. And now I'm going to let this just carry. Or is it all just one continuum?
0: I think it's a continuum. I think I've always uh, been myself and still been influenced. You know, I, I, I think I just um, understand ways to take an inspiration. And I respect it so much that I, I try to find my way. In that mm. i've always thought that way um never had anyone have to tell me something like that uh i just res- i i understood it was understood to me that okay if this person did this and i know that they did it and i saw them do it and i was inspired by it i knew i couldn't do anything like that you know or at least not too close to it because that's theirs and how do I now take this thing that I feel so moved by, and put my my signature on that? You know, mm-hmm. while at the same time understanding, you know, lineage of things as well, and giving respect to those to those that have really created something before me, because you know that's a communal way of thinking, though. Mm-hmm. It is, and it's uh, it's not so much that you see today. I think you know. I think people have a hard time even mentioning where they may have gotten something or whatever. Um, I have no problem doing that because I also know that my end product doesn't necessarily look like that, but it feels like that.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. even
0: even I can mention all of them and I have no, it doesn't take anything away from me and and I feel really good about, you know, sharing my influences all the time.
1: Mhm. Yeah, there can be a uh, familiarity to it, right? Mm-hmm. You can say, "Oh, that's in line with, but it's different." It's it's its yeah. own lane, but it's it's in the vicinity of. It's it's familiar too. Yeah, I I, I hear that. You have a very unique aesthetic and style and mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering if that's something that you deliberately chose or it just kind of happened. And I know it it doesn't. uh, It's not something you can compartmentalize or separate. But in your head, when you think about it, uh, were there moments where you're like, "Oh, I see what you look like, how you express yourself. I feel this way. Let me pursue it." Or was it just something that happened naturally for you?
0: Yeah, I think style is all about choice. It's all about choices you make. You know, it's like we can both order the same you know, meal, for example. Like if I want to order a cheeseburger and you want to order a cheeseburger, we have the difference in condiments and the stuff we want to add to the cheeseburger, right? Um, That's the way I look at certain genres of things, right? So if we're breaking, you know, we do have all these ingredients we can choose from. But the way that we put those ingredients together changes the flavor, you know? So I know that, you know, Moving forward, as I as I create, I think about those choices. I'm really, really now intentional about what those choices are, because a lot of times I'm I might be comparing to what other people are doing or not doing. Right? I've seen so much art at this point. And with that being said, I've, I'm pretty well traveled. I would say. I mean, I've been around the world a few times. I know a lot of people say that, but I've Definitely been. I mean, I'm on my fifth or sixth passport at this point. And and I didn't travel blind. And I I mean that by saying, like, I didn't go from the airport to the hotel to the event to the hotel to the airport and go home. There were years I've spent when I would go somewhere, I would on my own money stay a few days longer just so I can get an idea of the place that I just visited. And what I would do is I would look at museums, I would walk the streets, I would just try to take it all in. And I think when it comes to aesthetics and the choices that I make, they're based on some of the experiences and the things that I've seen. So you know they ultimately really influence, you know, what I'm doing. Um, and I still try to you know speak from my own my own voice in conjunction with that. So that's pretty much what that is.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's phenomenal. You know, you, you, um, I think being influenced in travel is, is huge and and you, you, that's, I mean, that's priceless. You, You can't put a, put a number on that. So that's, that's a big one. Was there a country in particular or a culture in particular that really caught your, your attention? I
0: love Japan. Um, been there over f- maybe 40 times. Um, Italy, I spent a lot of time. That's a lot of where my, my family is from as well. So I got to really experience the art and the culture there more. Which, you know, even even I'm saying that, like where my family is from, like I'm not very well connected to, you know, my last name like that. So like I had to go there and see what that was about i mean ultimately i'm american and i realized that while being there too you know i think differently i I dress differently i I had a different experience growing up where i grew up so Mm -hmm. trying trying to go back to something that you know influences me more genetically i think was interesting you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i learned a lot i learned a lot from taking frequent trips to italy um I lived in Malaysia, Southeast Asia had a big impact on me for a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would say everywhere, but I, those three places specifically, I think, really impacted me heavy.
1: Yeah, yeah that 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 makes sense to me. I mean, Japan is one of the few countries, especially when you go to Tokyo, that you arrive and you realize, wow, you have this. You just even the the lines that are are painted on the streets, just the the. The lines look different. They feel mm-hmm. different. Yep. Um, yeah.
0: And how things it's, are just culturally. An... I mean, like, the you know, when you yeah. walk through the streets of Tokyo, for example, you have, or anywhere too, even Osaka, but they have um, these, like, this yellow lane that has ridges on it. And those are for people who can't see. Those are for the blind. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. when I spent enough time in Japan, like, design-wise, I was really impressed by the way that they think because they they truly uh, served People who were underserved, people who were older, people who had physical issues or ailments—they they would design things for them specifically first because they needed that more than people who are able to do whatever they do.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, it's really interesting. Yeah,
1: and and that's that's something that I think the Japanese do so well is that they bring function and aesthetics together in a way. They marry it in a way that just when you when you're there, when you feel it, you see it. You're just. Yeah, you're like, what is this? This is insane. Um, which is something that I think you've also um, done not only with dance, but for example, I saw the chair that you designed. Did did you actually do the woodworking there too, or
0: uh, a friend of mine, Van Escobar, who helped me with that aspect of it. So a lot of the ideas, especially like in design, um, you know, we can't do everything, right? Like I'm not a I'm not a smith. I'm not a you know woodmaker i am i'm am doing it now myself which is great i learned from the process of watching van do it um mm. so there's that's also a part of like the endeavors my artistic endeavors to learn as much for myself as possible as well and i'm doing stuff now with cement um too so um but yeah Van. van really was uh the one that helped construct that so
1: yeah that, that, that is is unique and special and I, I, I admire anybody who even attempts to bring something like that to to life. And, and I mean you're clearly I think I read that you are uh, futuristic uh, and and you're, you're trying to describe in many ways where hip hop is heading. It's kind of like wh- where are we going? Like, where have we been and where are we and where are we going? And uh, just through a thing like designing a chair, you're, you're actually uh, shaping the future. But beyond that, where do you think hip-hop is going? Because right now, hip-hop, um, for I would say the majority of the population, they would see it as the uh, center of pop culture right now. Yeah. But the hip-hop that you're speaking of, is is the essential hip-hop it's the fundamental it's the original hip-hop yeah let's just take it from the future backwards where is hip-hop heading yeah where are we going
0: i truly think we can design from our experiences just like any any culture we can design our environment the same way Mm -hmm. um that speaks to how we are as people Mm-hmm. Right. Which is normal. It happens. I think there's a lot of people specifically to, um, you know, black and Brown folks in America who walk into spaces that don't feel comfortable to them. And when they have the opportunity to do the, you know, urban landscaping and the design, it would make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I do believe like when, when you have some type of cultural connection with, large groups of people and things like that are happening you should be able to you know design where you where you feel comfortable living and how that functions and how that works even society you know I think we all seek these things and we, mm-hmm. we look through history of this kind of fight of who was the dominant society at the time and and people who are you know, thinking differently, always tend to kind of break off and go somewhere else or f- try to find their place while in this dominant society. It's a lot of push and pull, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I do think hip hop, especially, as you said, is a is a pretty large pop culture at this point. I think it's one of the loudest voices, artistic movements we've had in a long time, not just in the, from America, but internationally, you know, worldwide. Mm-hmm. So... I think we should think about how that works within the rest of our, you know, life here.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm heavily influenced by it. And um, mm. at times I don't even realize the influences. And then yeah. I, I, I speak to, you know, somebody like yourself and it, it's very enlightening. And it actually brings me this like deep sense of responsibility. I feel like okay, we need to be paying attention here because mm-hmm. this yeah. is what's guiding us right now. I mean, totally. lyrics to music, the style of the music, the way that it's being presented, uh, the way that it's being commercialized. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, yeah it shows yeah, up in our
0: everyday. It shows up in our everyday. We're seeing it now in, in our ads. We're seeing where it's in our language. You know, people use the language, the fashion. It's all there. Mm-hmm. It's all there.
1: Yeah, it's all there. You're, you're totally right. And and something that I'm very interested in is, is specifically, and this is why I gravitated towards towards breaking, was the athletic expression of it. I, I've always been fascinated with movement. And I, I love the, uh, yeah, the athletics behind it. But I also realized that that is only one dimension of breaking. And mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm curious about, for example, now you, you were at Red Bull B C One this past weekend. I would say it's the 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 biggest breaking event of of the year, at least in production. Yeah. Uh, and I think you off air you called it the, the Disneyland of Breaking or <laughs> something it definitely like that. Was, right? yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is is hip hop alive and well at Red Bull B C One
0: or yeah,
1: are we missing something?
0: to a certain extent, I would say. I wouldn't say it's like fully there. And, and and I think it's not something that you can put in an event, you know. A lot of it has to deal with the people. And when you have an outside entity, and what I mean by that is maybe maybe the company of Red Bull or whatever type of organization, um, you know, they try to fit it within their agenda as well. And it's hard to do that. It's almost impossible to do that. like hip hop happens naturally whatever happens within the the memories that we hold as like this was this was a dope moment um it happens by people just gathering in a space and music playing most of the time or just you know it's always some type of gathering it's people coming together and doing their thing and with an event you know that's that's very pre prefabricated so mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me you can still have the moments those those will still happen for sure, but it's not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. It's not guaranteed. You can even put the best people in the room. That doesn't guarantee that this is gonna happen. You know, but events like that do create some moments and they're and they're powerful. And those are the things that really live on. You know, there's gonna be some young person that was in that crowd that watched some of those battles. And the, just the same way that I saw, you know, the Breeze team performing in the street. It's gonna empower them to, to do this for the rest of their life or be a part of it in some sort of way in a big way mm.
1: so yeah no no doubt no doubt about it and then we have the platform of the Olympics coming up yeah what's your what's your sense with uh, breaking in the Olympics um, yeah what do you think is gonna happen and, and what should we what should we do
0: <laughs> <laughs> good question <laughs> what should we do there's not too much we can do I think I think there's um, I think there's another you know, agenda and, and, and movement towards what that's going to be. I don't think there's enough people that come from hip-hop culture that are going to be calling the shots on that, unfortunately. Um, I think we've made a good attempt in the past few years to try to really be a part of it on that level. Uh, but it may not happen. It may not happen. I also don't think it's going to be handled maybe properly. And it just might be a one and done. It might be like that. And if it is like that doesn't stop anything. Like a lot of people see these opportunities as really large opportunities, but I've also seen 10 of those happen in the past 25 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about Olympics. I'm talking about all these other different ways that hip hop has shown up in different platforms and, it, it doesn't it doesn't do that much that people kind of think it does in terms of devastating or even uh, moving it forward. It, do, it really doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. because there are I people for, that for are like the... doing other things all the time.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And I think for the, the, the culture, the community in general, it's just a blip on the radar. I, I, I am close to a lot of people who have now invested their whole life in, in pursuing this path. And something that I am constantly encouraging them to, to, to look at is at the big picture and realizing that, hey, the Olympics is two days and then it's gone. yeah. And when you go all in on something like this, uh, it can make you or break you. And I always say, you know, not everybody's going to make it, but everybody can be successful. And, yeah. and being successful, being producing a succession, a progression. And in the continuum of hip hop, breaking specifically as an expression that has kind of come out of hip hop, um, what can we do to, one, guarantee the health and well-being of hip hop going forward? And to empower those who have chosen a path that is more competitive or, um, yeah, that looks maybe like the Olympics or Red Bull BC1? Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we do to empower them to uh, kind of lean into the bigger picture, like really, yeah, s- sit within the foundation of of hip-hop as they express themselves there? Um, yeah, is there anything that comes to mind when I when I say that or anything that comes up?
0: yeah a lot actually i think i think for one we all have to start meeting more and talking more i think that's really important i think there's a lot of players that play on different levels and lanes and there may not always be a respect for each other but i think if the more we talk and meet in that way we can we can build that type of respect i felt that a lot this past weekend for example Mm. um and, you know, the thing about, like, I think we have to go back to basics all the time. We have to remind ourselves that this this dance makes you before it breaks you mm. all the time. It's a difficult uh, thing to do. Breaking in general is a very difficult thing to do. It's not something that has that much support. It's also not something that is uh, nice to your body in a lot of ways, you know, but when I think about life and life in general, something that gets you up to move to any capacity, whether it be, you know, I just feel like moving, I feel like jumping up and down, whatever, whatever, that's powerful and that's really what it's about. To give you a goal, to, to focus on something, and to, to you know, really do it, like, that's, what more would you really want at that point? You know, mm-hmm. so it's not, that's why, you know, for me, it's never about winning or losing a competition or nothing like that. The fact that I needed to, like, get myself together to go do this thing, what else was driving me in my life to do that? You know? Yeah. And then what is the opposite then of that? what are we doing? You know, so the competitions and all these things, they're just there. They're, they're, they're not nothing that I even think about necessarily. You know, they're things for me to show up and meet other people and do the thing, whatever. But like, what's driving me to do this thing? And that's the most powerful tool we have. And when we tap into that, the more we tap into that, you, you realize the health benefits, you realize the community building, you realize that stuff later on, you know, and I think we need to just constantly remind people that that's really what this is.
1: Mm. Beautifully said, and I think so powerful because when it comes to competition or, you know, an athletic career, it has an end. there's a moment where you have to retire your body can no longer keep up the young blood is coming up they're they're taking your spot it's it's over for you yeah and i mean this happens in art as well the the artistry Mm -hmm. and is competitive as well but the the nature of evolution requires a level of self-awareness that you're talking about right now that is scary because it it requires you to ponder on your death or on the finite nature of who you are in this current iteration or form. Mm-hmm. But what I sense, and, and let me know if this is something that rings true to you, is that when you can pursue life from that place of passion, that thing that drives you, that makes you want to go to the Bronx, you know, as a 14-year-old to just Break and dance. That that it that it's there where the secret lies, where you can live in an infinite state of of learning, growing, moving, um, creating, uh, and it's finding that. And it sounds cliche. I mean, but it's, I mean, it's the truest truth that I've found. And I'm just wondering. I know that you're mentoring and teaching is what can we do to continue to redirect people to rem- to remind them, hey, yeah, you're doing this thing, it's amazing, keep going, but the the foundation is, is here. It's in the things that you truly care about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an open-ended question, but curious to hear your thoughts and and where your mind is there when you're teaching or mentoring these days.
0: Yeah. I think for me, it's just constant reminders. Constantly reminding them that this is not this is not something that happens one time. This is a whole journey, you know. And then, luckily, I have myself as an example for a lot of the things that I'm talking about. You know, and I can say, hey, look, this is what I'm doing now. Like, now I'm sitting here talking to you. And I'm trying to give you some advice of your your dance. That things that I've experienced myself, I, if you're coming to me for mentorship, you probably have looked up to the things that I do that I have done and I I feel really happy to share any of my experience with but then I'm gonna let you know too that I've thought about my death you know and I also thought about your life and through my death you can live twice as much you know and that's Mm. that's a thing that I think a lot of people have a hard time coming to grips with you know and, you know, even when I speak to people, I hear them like that, like I'm very much aware of like what I'm, what's possible for me. And at this point too, it's more about other responsibilities and time that I have. So I'm 41 years old at this point. I feel great physically. There's nothing really slowing me down to that extent. Um, but it's more about time and other things that I really want to do. And I know that like, I don't really want to push myself to compete at a level at this age. I just, I've already come to a point where I'm okay with not doing that, you know, and it's because of the choices I made, you know, from, from years back of, you know, also setting up my life in a different way, because we have to also still think as artists and as breakers, what are we going to do financially and all these other things as well. So there's other things that I, I also speak to them about. Because some of that is what the decisions are, you know, and they feel like they're trapped into this comp- It's like the boxing mentality. They're trapped into these. I need to keep boxing to maintain this life that I have and they can't put it down. Right. You know, and that ultimately will be your demise and it won't be a good ending. So I encourage them to think about how they want to end this story.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's a big one. Which kind of leads to this conversation around money, money and art. How do you marry those two?
0: I don't. (laughs) I really don't. They
1: they remain separate.
0: (laughs) They do because I I generate money to create art. I've always done that. I've never had someone up until now and maybe the past five years invest in my art. I've always invested in my own. And I, I still feel that I, that's what I want to do because you truly own that when it's yours. So I had no problem with working a, a regular job so I can continue to to make art. I have no problem with that, mm-hmm. you know. And I take that money and I funnel it back into what I want to do, you know. And I'm very confident in the time spent making the money too. I think people have a hard time with that. They're like, I want to break all day. You know, (laughs) but what they don't realize, too, is that when you work, if you're working a 10 or 12 hour day. And even though you may be tired, the the being away from something that you really love, when you get time to do that, you're a lot more productive than you think. Because that time now is limited, plus the energy of being away is heightened when you start to do it again. So you have to miss it. You have to learn how to miss it because again mm-hmm. when we go back to what we just said it's going to be gone at some point so start getting used to that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's huge I mean? that's mm-hmm. huge you know you make make such such great points something that i i was just sharing with uh, uh, a group of breakers the other day that are on this kind of olympic path is that mm-hmm. now they have kind of ended their season and until january they don't have to do anything I'm encouraging them to really take this time to like chill, like miss it, miss breaking because you're going to be in the grind of the competitive breaking from January until the Olympics, if you make it there and it's going to make breaking miserable and you need to draw, you're going to have to draw passion and care and love from a, a different place. And, and this kind of is the time to do that. So yeah I think um, uh, putting constraints on uh, yourself uh, allows you to become more productive. Uh, but of course it's it's cyclical and I think that's that's interesting. Um, yeah. I am curious about money. Uh, so right now, like for example, you you do uh, teach every day, it sounds like so you're, you're yeah. full-time teaching. Yes yeah and you, you teach for various universities or uh, how does that go?
0: Yeah, I still, well, I still have a class in the fall at Arizona State University. And uh, it's a history of hip hop dance class. So it's more based on lecture, which I'm bringing that class now to Texas Tech, which is great. Um, It's just a lot of my, my own research on, you know, hip hop dance as a whole. But then also it gives me the opportunity to bring in people who really do this and who are some. You know, people who are looked at as pioneers of the dance. I think one of my main reasons of being in the university is to be able to connect the community to what's going on here, especially if they want to have hip hop in the university. I think that's important. So I do that. I also teach uh, a breaking class, which is great. You know, I, um, I also teach improvisation, teach music for dance. So it's, it kind of goes ar- across the board of some of the stuff that I'm already interested in, which is, which is great. You know, not mm-hmm. all of my, my students are necessarily hip-hop dancers, though, either. So, you know, understanding, like, where they're coming from, but then also giving them a taste of, like, what this is and also talking to them about it in a way that they respect this to the same level that they might respect something like ballet um, is important to me, too. And putting it on this platform in the in a university makes it that now does it belong here i don't know i'm not quite sure i'm not sure if even this is something that we should be doing but i do believe it's something that is needed because of how hip-hop is viewed in the public sphere so if Mm -hmm. it shows up in places like universities if people write about it more You know, this society gives credit and and value to certain things that in hip hop we don't look at all the time. But I think people now are starting to understand why it is important to do something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've already been on this the past seven years. So I'm trying to, like, you know, find my way in it, but then also not lose my way in it because I know it may not be fully supported. And it might not be, at least I know, in my lifetime. So I am the first person coming through a door and getting shot, which I don't mind. And again, here's my awareness of that. So I know how to treat it. I know how to prepare the next person. And I'll be a sacrificial lamb. It's all good because I have my hands always in other things. I don't ever put my full intent into something that I feel like it's not a safe place to be in in that Mm -hmm. way. So I take care of myself and I take care of the art and I I have to, you know, move accordingly.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Huge. And this is actually one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because you're so well thought out and there's so many layers to uh, your expression, yet your expression in nature, when you see it, is very simple. It's very clear, concise, uh, and compelling. And I think this is something that, is simply out of people's awareness when it comes to people who break or dance or uh, uh, who express themselves as artists that they, they, you know, they just see like, oh, look how creative that person is. But ha- have you noticed how well thought out they are? How they've yeah. they really gone through the iterative process of thinking about all the layers and all the perspectives and and this being exactly what we need at, at this moment, I think more than ever, we, we need to wake up and become aware of how things work. And, mm-hmm. and the only way we can do it is by becoming autonomous. And it sounds like to me, and and this is my perception of you, is that you at the core of who you are as an artist, you are using uh, the medium of teaching, the platform of academia, um, To help people become more autonomous, to uh, find um, mastery in their process, and to tie in some kind of purpose and allow it to mechanically work with uh, the systems at B, but also potentially with the intention of breaking those systems, creating new ones.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which very much goes against uh, the institution's longevity.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> so be- because you know, academia is an expensive anti. right? 100 oh, yeah, like... <laughs> percent <Right>? it's expensive <laughs> it's not it's not a place that uh anyone can find themselves in you know it's uh it's limited it's um you know there's a lot to it it's also as a multidisciplinary artist too i, I find myself sometimes i don't want to be caught up in one thing you can't have me here just teaching breaking i'm not going to do it
1: mm-hmm. you know what do that, you enjoy teaching the most
0: it has to be all of it together. I think, you know, I love everything equally, even if I'm just talking about, you know, what, what dancers should be doing to, to further their careers in terms of like, you know, how they get their websites together, how they promote themselves. I love talking about that too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's all, it's all relative and important to me. Um, and I, I spend a lot of time on pretty much everything, you know, I, I think we have to always kind of open it up, the conversations, like, you know, the formats of things, especially here in universities, like they're too one way and it doesn't serve everything to me. Even events, man, even the events I go to and people say, oh, the culture's here. I'm like, is it? You know, you have one workshop. People take that workshop, last maybe an hour and 30 minutes. They go home. They got all the knowledge of the culture. I highly doubt it, you know. So there's a lot more we have to do. There's a lot more connecting we have to do. So we can use these limited platforms to get the conversation started. But then there's other things that we need to start doing to connect people a little bit more and open up mm-hmm. the conversation to other things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, one yeah. 100%. Have, have you found resistance in terms of what you're doing right now yeah what what are you hearing what are what are the things that are coming up that are kind of pushbacks right now for you
0: uh i think it's it's my format at times you know i don't follow a traditional uh professorship i think in the way that i even um conduct my class you know um i'm also someone who has studied like i studied the Bauhaus, for example a lot and um Learning by doing is a, a huge component for me. So anything that's based on rubric, especially for my class, and because I have many levels in my class, and maybe people have never done this movement before in their life, um, I have to assess each one separately. You know, so participation is the, is the key, and wherever you start at in my class and where you end is what I'm looking at. But it's I can't give you, you know, some sort of like rubric that's going to be one and great for everyone that's not the case because everyone's an individual this is like a a, a hip-hop thought man there's a lot of things in hip-hop that we you know we are very communal but at the same time we understand this individualism in a different way you know Mm -hmm. so i do feel like the the attention sometimes from students even because they're used to a certain format so when they're in class they're like i don't like how are you even grading us on some of this stuff and i'm like we can talk about it if you want to know You know, Mm -hmm. and then I'll tell them straight up how I assess them. I was like, well, I looked at you in the beginning of class. You were doing this technique, you know, a certain way. Now you understand your body weight a little bit differently. Am I right? And they'll say yes or no. Um, You know, I'll be like, okay, how do you feel in terms of the way that you're moving now compared to you move before, you know, and and it's great. And so I can still conduct the class kind of the way I want. I'm just usually, you know, feeling and these are conversations that I'm sure they're happening behind, you know, closed doors. But like maybe faculty in certain places that i have been have been like, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing, maybe. Or, you know, he has not really done this in the way that we that we do things here, you know. So but I mean, it doesn't, you know, hey.
1: <laughs> yeah. like, I'm pretty whatever, confident. I mean,
0: <laughs> look at my students. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. If you want to know who's a good teacher, look at their students. Look at what they're producing. You know, I don't. A grade doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't. As a professor, I should not be saying things like that. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's you. Try to get them to see outside of that too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something, yeah, and I and I I I agree. I've always said that true human performance is measured by feel. And when it feels right in your head and your heart and your gut, then you are usually trending in the right directions and you start to produce the numbers, whatever grades, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. And basically what I'm trying to say is that it's connecting with that which you're thinking, that which you are uh, feeling, as that which drives you, like you you said, and uh, ultimately how your body is expressing itself and the health and well-being of it. And when you learn to perform by feel, and now you start to produce uh, practical mechanical outcomes, expressions that are technical, that can be measured, and somebody can come in and assess it and say, it's this or that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how somebody defines your expression. It's how you feel about it and the impact that it makes, which I think uh, really comes down to human connection. uh so i just love that you're saying this because i'm like yes this come on i need i need to hear this from an artist because sometimes i come from a place of more technical expression technical performance i'm I'm constantly thinking about how do we get you a little bit closer to where you want to go but i also know that the nature of creativity and artistry is 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 what's driving it all so it's I'm also a bullshit artist, you know, by by doing the things that I do. Uh, so I just I I love that you're saying this, and it's and it's allowing me to think different, uh, which kind of leads me to um, your thesis, your your master's. I uh, it was around rhythm, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it this morning before jumping on here with you, and I was thinking, is maybe the thing why not is is trying to show us is that if we can access the rhythm of life then everything's gonna work out is that is is that what you're doing
0: <laughs> yeah i mean to me it's all about timing you know so even when i'm dancing man i'm showing that there's a way of existing within a environment and calling attention to things um you know really controlling a moment it's like it's like if you think about life it's the same thing you know like where we i used to think about like there was times i would just really have some sort of anxious feeling or energy towards something that now that I've been through the experience of it, I'm like, why was I acting like that? Mm -hmm. You know, or or if I knew I was going to make it to the age of 40, I wouldn't have made those decisions. Stuff like that. And it's like, the truth is, we don't know. We don't. But there's some sort of power in having faith. And this goes back to the religion thing I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. faith is a universal word whether whatever religion you follow but this idea of just knowing and understanding and having this you know complete confidence about your own personal life and then the people around you will feel that as well and and you can connect with them in a way you know you move with faith so that's mm-hmm. all timing to me it's like you know knowing when to react when not to react You know, does everything Mm -hmm. need your attention in that way? Um, Also, when you feel something, is it time? Is it time for that? Like, are you supposed to be doing this right now? Um, Yeah, it's all about that. Rhythm is is a heavy component to everything. And I think in my thesis, I was trying to really get to that point. But it also spoke, I, I spoke to it mainly like artistically about how I can move through different mediums. Like I look at everything in a similar way, but really, it is it is a metaphor for life for sure in a lot of ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you. I think you said that rhythm is the common denominator of hip hop and creative practices.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, can and you elaborate that, on that? Yeah, that's something that um, you know one of my early uh, mentors, Pop Master Fable, mentioned that th- those exact words to me. You know, really, his words. And You know, rhythm is a common denominator. What he means by that is that you can see rhythm within certain elements of visual art. And if you can see them, it translates into something that you do physically, and vice versa. You know, so when you understand that there's a rhythmic pattern within something visually, when you understand that there's a rhythmic pattern within something sonically, there's a rhythmic pattern in a movement or a combination of steps. That's it. You can speak across those lines based on that. So now you're not looking at the step. Now you're not looking at the graffiti letter. Now you're not listening to just a tenor saxophone. You're listening to rhythm. You're seeing rhythm. You're feeling and doing rhythm with your body. So it opens Mm -hmm. up a lot.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in my head, I'm, I'm getting these visuals. I see rhythm as like the DNA of expression but it's also almost like the rhythm is the scaffolding that you use to build the thing that you're creating. Yeah. It's kind of like, you have to start with the rhythm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even when you think about like conversation <clears throat> and how, um, you know, when you have a good conversation, it feels good. There was a rhythm mm-hmm. to it. Like there was, there was the way, the back and forth, it worked. It was like, great, you know. Um, could be into the way you deliver a sentence you know, how you say it one way versus how you say it another can give a completely different feel. You know, if you see it in all the things, it starts to really make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I see it and I feel it. Um, it's amazing. And it, it's something that I'm now even more curious about exploring. And I remember somebody actually attended a seminar of mine probably like seven or eight years ago. And, and they came to me to talk about they came to the seminar because they wanted to see what I knew about rhythm. And I realized I know nothing about rhythm. I, I, I was just unaware of, of rhythm. And although I've thought about it and explored it and I logically get it, there's so much more to it that sure. needs to be revealed. And um, I'm glad there are people like yourself out there Talking about it, expressing it, sharing it, and willing to do it in an arena like academia right now. (laughs) It just is very dogmatic.
0: Yeah. And it's fun and it's exciting to have this kind of format here because I got kind of tired of the one off workshops, you know, when I would go to events. You know, here we have a semester, right? We have 15 weeks, you know, 30 classes with people. You really can get into a subject. And spend some time, you know, so I, I would really love for, you know, breaking or, you know, anyone who wants to learn anything hip hop wise to have a similar experience. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm like really preparing my my place. I have a studio now I just moved into. I'm going to start opening that up in January to people who want to, you know, really take some time and make an in-depth, um, you know, I would say, uh, experience or, you know, take a dive into something that they've always wanted to learn. And if it's from me, fantastic, because I say that too, because like, if they want to come and learn something from me, they can, or if they simply want to work on a project, I have resources for them. So I have a large studio space, I have cameras, I have music equipment, I have whatever they need to create whatever it is they want.
1: So. Mm, that's, that's, that's special. So it's like a creative space. And this is in Texas?
0: Yep, it's in Lubbock, Texas. Yeah, this is my Bauhaus, man. I'm making it. This is the the learning by doing situation that I was talking about, and I want to get, you know, people in there and really getting busy, man. Like really creating the things that are that are in their minds. Wow,
1: mm-hmm. I can't wait to visit. That that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be. A, there and, that'd
0: be great. And, totally. And
1: check it out. Yeah. You're welcome to come by. Uh, I- Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. How, how can, how can people support you? Is there anything people can do to, uh, support your ventures and and that which you're, you're teaching or spreading the message?
0: I don't know. Like my posts on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, they can, um, maybe just spread the word to people that they know are interested in doing something like that. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make that, a little more public pretty soon i mean i just moved in that space so i'm really getting it ready for what i'm about to do um but i'll, I'll you know have it open in january and uh right now it's just going to be two years so i have i have the space for two years and i'm going to really push and promote that as much as possible um but yeah if you want to support what i'm doing you know just maybe just inquire of how how we can We can work together. I'm really, really serious about collaboration. That's the biggest thing for me. Like even that chair venture to me, anything that I do with my art, I want it to be collaborative, you know, because I I do feel like that's what helps things move forward as well. And I do a lot of things, too. And I was just talking about this uh, the other day with other artists in a way where I say, you know, if if you feel like I can help you in your artistry. Um, I'm going to ask you then to do something for me as well for whatever it is that you do. It's more like just a trade. We're not going to deal with money at all, you know? And I have all Mm -hmm. the equipment and stuff like that to to make whatever people want so they can come through. We'll build it for them. But then I'm going to ask them to do something for me. And it might be simply as like, come and talk to my students. Because most of the time they're, their artist is in their own right. So I want them to come by and share their knowledge with my students or, you know, if there's anything other skill that they have and it fits within a project that I'm working on, I'll ask them to help me out. So I think it's cool, like really starting different conversations with this whole thing.
1: I like it. I I really, uh, you know, as you're saying this, I was like, (laughs) I really hope why autism becomes a a, a thing that people (laughs) recognize. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's worthy of, of, uh, being a movement that people can, can adhere to weave in and out of and kind of ride like a wave. And, and that allows you to continue to express yourself creatively for the the rest of your days. Uh, I'm very inspired by this. Thank you for your time and thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, if you have any final thoughts or anything that you would like to, to share, feel free
0: um well thanks for having me first of all you know i look forward to working with you in the future carl so we got to really talk about what we can do you know definitely come out Mm -hmm. to to texas too and and see what i got going on here i think it could really benefit some of the stuff you're doing as well so maybe we can figure out something along those lines um i would love it yeah and and yeah just um I'm going to direct everyone, I guess, to my website, you know, whynotism.com. That's Y-N-O-T-I-S-M dot com. That's a place that I'm going to most likely shift everything. I mean, at some point I might leave social media even. I don't know, you know, um, but my website will continue. You know, I talk a lot about that with my artists too. I think, you know, as you see now, Instagram is doing these kind of subscriber type things. But, you know, in all actuality, there are no platforms that truly serve artists completely and I think they need to think about that not only financially but like you know how the algorithms go and if you're not producing what people want to see now they'll start to promote something else so Mm -hmm. you have to have your own space and I think a website is a great place to do that and if you're multifaceted it's not like you have to follow only one square image every time you post you can make you know images you can make podcasts you can have videos you can have it all on one platform so Yep. Check out my website where all my other things are, you know, and yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have a nice portfolio there of things. Uh, yeah, I was checking it out a couple of days ago and and really appreciated it. And I also saw that you've, uh, without opening another can of worms here, uh, mm-hmm. that you ventured into the NFT space a little bit and yeah. uh, that thus you have some. You know, knowledge of the crypto space. I do think that the blockchain for artists is going to be the place and to have one um, hub that has all your stuff, yeah. but that is completely open for people to connect and where there can be an exchange of value uh, that produces an influx of resources and, a, and a, the, the place to share resources and, and mm-hmm. record uh your moves is going to be huge and i think web websites living on the blockchain basically which is just saying uh, web3 mm-hmm. uh is i think something that artists really need to start to lean into because they're they're going to be the first
0: yeah um, yeah, yeah. Let them know, Amazing. Carl. They got to yeah, know. Yeah, so if
1: you're in the NFT space, go get, go get, go get, go mint some of uh, why Not's, um <laughs> NFTs. I think the floor price is 0.2 ETH <laughs> or something yeah, like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, that's where it's at. You know, I haven't put too much more energy into that in a while, but I will soon. You know, I like to get involved with movements and things that are happening just to understand them. You know, I don't consider myself an mm-hmm. opportunist because I don't never really fully invest in those things i invest in it enough to get to understand what's happening you know i don't want to be the next big nft artist that's not my goal um if i can you know gain some you know income from it sure that's fantastic but Mm -hmm. you know it's not something that i'm aiming to do but i just want to see what's going on because i'm always trying to understand you know what people are doing and where they're going you know, when I see that, it benefits yeah. everything that I do, especially here at the university, where I can, you know, truly speak to my students or anybody else I may mentor in the scene and tell them, "Hey, look, this is something you should think about. Let me explain to you how it works because I've done the research. I've used myself as a as a guinea pig, so to speak, and you know, now I have the knowledge and I can I can bring that to you. And this is my assessment of what I think about it. You know,
1: mm-hmm. so. yeah, yeah. Well said. I think speaking from experiences. A place where, yeah, you can't go wrong and your confidence, yeah, can't be shaken. Why not? Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. And I hope everybody who listened, um, yeah, just got a glimpse of what uh, a creative mind sounds like and looks like and what it can do. And uh, I look forward to more conversations with you in the future.
0: Yeah, let's do this again sometime, Carl, you know we got a lot of stuff that we could have went <laughs> even further with
1: i know i feel so. like we could have gone for like hours but we'll, I'm we'll, sure. <laughs> we'll call it at this we'll, we'll we'll let people get a taste and then we'll, we'll keep it going there you go um, part one thank you man <laughs> thank i you. appreciate it yeah man thanks